We are wrapping up a four-week series called The Modern Family Reframed, where we have been, over the last four weeks, looking at God's design for the modern family. Our hope is that over the course of these four weeks, you experience God's love, God's grace in a new and different way. Whether you are a single person, whether you are a married person, whether you are a grandparent or an aunt or an uncle, that you somehow connected with an element of this series, especially around the idea that this is really about relationships, our relationship with the world around us and our relationship with God. That no matter what phase of life, no matter what stage of life you may be in, there's some message that was applicable. Whether, whether you heard something about being a better husband or a better wife, then maybe you related that to being a better neighbor or a better friend. Maybe you learned something about being a better parent or handling conflict in a different way. And maybe that related to something that you may have needed at work or uh, in, in your school or in another phase of or walk of life. And so we said at the beginning of the series that we would end it with a panel and that we asked you to submit questions. And you did. You submitted lots of questions. And so we're going to do our best to answer all of those questions. Uh, not all of them, because some of them, quite frankly, were just weird. Uh, and so we're not going to answer any of those. Uh, but we are going to answer a whole bunch of other questions that you submitted to this panel of crack experts in the area of family and parenting and relationships and life. And so I'm going to ask them to just real quickly tell you a little bit about themselves and why they are experts. So we'll start with you, sir. Your name is? Yes, sir. Uh, my name is Ray. And uh, I don't really think I'm an expert at very much, so uh, I'm not sure what I'm doing up here. But I'm up here, and uh, I'll do my best. I've been married 29 years to my wife, Margie. Uh, it be 29 years in November. And uh, we have uh, two children. Uh, my daughter, Megan, is uh, out of college, went to Northwestern and graduated from there. My son, Corey's a senior in high school, uh, not high school, senior in uh, at college, he goes to Vanderbilt University. We're hoping to get him out as soon as possible. And so we've been empty nesters for about three years. So, yeah. Good. And I am Lynn, and I am a divorced mom of a freshman at Glenbard South. I don't know, the expert part of being maybe being a divorced, I don't know, being a single mom, I'm not sure I'm really working hard at that. That's not been easy, but we're getting there. It's been different. It's been about three years now since it's just been the two of us, and it's been an adjustment. But it's been great because Stan's been involved in ministry here, and it's helped him a lot. And I, shameless plug for divorce care, if that's okay. Fine. You guys, it is a great class. I took divorce care, and it really helped me out so much. And I know the folks that are going to be facilitating it tomorrow, starting tomorrow, and it's really a wonderful experience. It helped me so much get through the divorce process. A lot of pain, a lot of hurt. I'm over it now. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> then you are an expert. <laughs> Anyhow, that's, that's my story. Excellent. <laughs> All right. My name is uh, Carrie Beckman. I am older, single, never married, and uh, the good news is I have no kids. <laughs> um, so never married, no kids. It's a good combo. It's a good combo. Yeah. Um, so uh, I am a director of human resources uh, for Edward Elmhurst Healthcare in uh, Naperville, and so uh, again, big job, no kids. Uh, I'm Lori Zander. This is my husband Albie. He is a teacher and coach at Glenbard West in Glen Ellen. Uh, we have five children. We have a freshman in high school, his boy. 
We have an eighth grade girl, a sixth grade girl, a fifth grade boy, and a third grade boy. So we have a busy house. So maybe we're experts in chaos. <laughs> <laughs> um, the only thing I would add is uh, I'm, I'm sure plenty of you are much more experts than we are, but something that uh, I heard a while ago that I like a lot is that God the Father was the only perfect parents, and he's got a lot of screwed up kids. And uh, <laughs> that would be why we're up here. <laughs> uh, Ken Phillips, uh, qualification. I grew up in a family. <laughs> uh, my dear wife, Lee, and I are married 30 years this fall. We have uh, a son and two daughters, 25 to 19, so we're empty nesters. Mm. Um, I'm a psychiatrist. My wife is a clinical social worker, so imagine how our kids feel. <laughs> Gordon Murphy, uh, my wife Cheryl and I are coming up on 40 years of marriage, and we have four adult children, live here in Glen Ellen, and we have been empty nesters for quite a while until uh, some time ago our daughter and son-in-law came to us with their two children um, and said we want to be intentional about creating a multi-generational, intergenerational home so that our children grow up with grandparents and have the influence and wisdom of grandparents every day. So we gulped and we said, let's try it. And so we are in the process now of building this multi-generational, intergenerational environment um, so that we can help them with their children and, uh, and with their lives. Another piece that, that Dave asked me to participate was the, in these four adult children, we have uh, one beautiful son-in-law that is an observant and kosher-keeping Jewish man, and we have a beautiful daughter-in-law who is a Hindu Indian woman, and so that adds to our mix of this modern family that Dave is describing. Good. All of these folks will probably look familiar to you except for Gordon. Uh, Gordon is a friend of mine, goes to another church here in town, but has lived a life of, of good parenting and good Family making, and the thing that I like about Gordon, or I appreciate about Gordon, is that he is comfortable with saying, I screwed up, and I am sorry for that. And he's uh, a great guy to learn from. So um, you're also the wild card here, and so I wish maybe you had sat next to me, because he's kind of a loose cannon. He's Presbyterian, so who knows what he's going to say. <laughs> I'm glad you let me sit up here as opposed to back in the back. <laughs> yeah. And... Uh, yeah, you're welcome. Well, let's, let's get started. Uh, I'll throw out a kind of an easy one. One of the questions that was submitted was this around this idea of what is a normal family? What does a normal home look like? So I wonder if maybe any of you would like to comment on what is normal. All right, I guess I'll start again on the normal part because I'm so normal, of course, so <laughs> why not hit it, right, guys? I, growing up in a home, there's a little bit of dysfunction in my house growing up because my mom did tend to drink a little bit too much. It wasn't available to me. So I was familiar with that kind of surrounding growing up. And then I married an alcoholic and was also in a surrounding, in a family environment where there was also that kind of stuff. So that seemed normal to me until I realized, okay, I can't live like this anymore the way it was affecting my son. So when we when I got divorced and, and things were a little bit quieter and more peaceful, which seemed maybe more normal to most folks, that kind of a life where things aren't crazy and things aren't flying around like you talked about. Then I, see, I saw, but there's normal circumstances, things that abnormally happen in a life where, you know, there's losses and, and there's obstacles that we all have to overcome and a lot of decisions have to be made. And 
I just find that, you know, just coming into that new lifestyle, I've still found it's a hard adjustment, but it's not normal. I guess I guess what I'm trying to say, there's really, I don't really know what normal is, to be quite honest, you guys. I have no idea. I just try to have a lot of love, show a lot of love to my son, and let him know that I'm there for him no matter what. And even though we're going through all those problems that we we're going through, we're here for each other, we've worked it out, and uh, we're stronger for it. So I think just being there and, and, and showing him and being a good example for him that we can get through these struggles, and that's normal part of life. There's, I, I don't know anyone who's ever had a life that's been smooth sailing. So, so I guess that's my version good. of it. Yeah, it's good. Okay. I think like Irma Bombeck said, uh, normal is a setting on a dryer. <laughs> yeah, maybe we just close in prayer now and go home. That was profound. Anyone else want to add to the conversation of uh, normalcy? No? Uh, I'll share just a little bit. I think um, one of the things that I've recognized over time, I also grew up in an alcoholic home, and I think, you know, if we took a show of hands, how many of us grew up in a dysfunctional home, and you don't have to raise your hand. But, you know, there'd be a lot of us in here, and, you know, in my home when I was a younger child, there would be glass crashing against the wall at night, and then in the morning it was, do you want Fruit Loops or Cheerios? And, you know, I'd be kind of like, well, where's the where's the mess? You know, and somebody cleaned it up, and it was never to be talked about. And so for a long time you think, oh, that's abnormal. We lived in a dysfunctional home. But as I've grown up and talked with people about all of that dysfunction and you share it, you realize, you know what, there's a lot of dysfunction in the world. And if you can just communicate about that and talk with people about it, it really becomes where's sort of for me I realize you know the bar's pretty low in the world when it comes to the definition of normal right and so there's not really a whole lot of shame anymore if, within the body of Christ if you can talk about what your life walk has been and so I think it's been really eye-opening to me and I no longer really that you know I, I don't strive for normal anymore I just strive for survival I guess because there really isn't a whole lot of normal in the world yeah. anymore yeah I think that's I think that really is the answer there is there is no there is no normal there is no this is what everyone should aspire to right as a family that for every number of family that there is there's a different normal for that family the the next question that I, that I want to address sort of segues into that which is um, like in my own situation, I didn't grow up in an overtly Christian home. Many of you on the panel didn't grow up in an overtly Christian home. But you want to establish those sort of Christian building blocks in your home, those, those values. So how, how, whether you came from a Christian home or not, how and what are some of those foundational elements that you've tried to introduce or hope to introduce into your life and into your family? Um, I'll just I'll just jump on that one uh, first. Um, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. My wife didn't grow up in a Christian home. So we got married. We were winging it, man. We didn't know what is it supposed to be like. You know, I think as Christians, we like we we like to have recipes that we can follow that are really simple, basic, black and white. Uh, if you do this enough with your kids, if you you know read them enough Bible studies, uh, Bible verses, if you pray with them enough, you have family devotions enough, everything's going to turn out hunky dory. But that's really not the way. That's not the way it is. And for for us, you know, what we've our goal has been that our kids would just see people who really who take their faith seriously, who who love Jesus, and want to um, 
want to follow him the best that we can. We're going to make mistakes. It's that I think what they see in us every day, um, what they've seen us in every day, that I think that's the most important thing, mm -hmm. that it's an authentic spiritual uh, faith and um, not just rituals or things like that. Yeah, good. Anyone else want to add to that? Well, I, I would say, uh, you know, along those lines, you're, the first week you talked, you talked about modeling and, you know, I think modeling is, is what it's all about. So like with our kids, if I want them to cast their cares on Jesus, then they need to see me do it. You know, we, there's a few verses that we hit on all the time and um, I want them to see those lived out. When we say that Jesus is the um, vine and we are the branches, they need to see that. You know, and I think about uh, a couple other things. My, my dad was my model, you know, and I, I just saw a consistency in character. And even this past year when my mom passed away, he was that same person and consistent in character. And then the other thing I would add to that is, is getting your kids in an environment where they see as many examples that you're talking about at home. You know, as a teacher and a coach, I can tell you that kids hear the same message, the more places they hear it, the more likely they're going to live that out. And even if they're a prodigal, um, they need to, they can't come back to something they never had. And so I think it's really important to have something that they come back to. So I'm a huge fan of, you know, coaches, teachers, youth workers, you know, that are modeling the same thing for your kids. So even if you didn't come from a Christian home, um, they're seeing that that lived out in all the things that you've talked about to them. Dave, if I can build on Albie for just a second, because I think he hit on a, a, an important point that it seems from our children and, and some of the children I've worked with in our church has been that you are taking them into the world with you. And it's, it's not just at home, it's not just as church, but you're taking them to, into the hard places. And Albie just referenced going through a death. And, and so if your children deal with the idea of a loss and watch you or, the, or you take them with you to, to go serve the widows and orphans of the community or, or wherever you are going, um, I think you live out that walk with Jesus, and I think your, your kids get that foundational block, and I think that's pretty critical um, from what I have observed in our family. Yeah, yeah I, would, I would just cap on that too. Just, the, just the, in my own home, you know, I feel the pressure often just to be perfect, right? To be super dad and many, many different levels. And I mess up on a, with great regularity. Um, I am a novice amateur dad at best. But uh, we created a culture in our home where it's okay for dad to say sorry and for dad to apologize and for my kids to see in a real and authentic way their broken, wounded, but redeemed father. And uh, I, think that's a, I think that's a critical element to building a strong family. So... Good. Uh, Carrie, let me ask you, in relationship to singleness, um, you come to a church that has a lot of married folk in it. Uh, you come to church four weeks ago and we started a series on family. How does that hit you? How has that impacted you? What are some of the things maybe even that you've taken away from it? Yeah, I, I would have to phone a friend. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah, so um, not married, no kids, and we're doing a series on, on the family. Um, so I had to confess, starting at the first service, my first temptation was to say, great, sabbatical, time to sleep in for a few weeks. But I thought better of that. And the, the reality is, you know, if you look at the, 
sermon series. It was on leaving a legacy and it was on dealing with conflict, all uh, issues that relate no matter who we are in life. And so I think, you know, being a single adult um, of older age, and you know, I've never been specific and I won't be, but of older <laughs> age, you know, it, it can be a challenge being alone. And um, I think the, the first real challenge is you have to be comfortable in your own skin. And so you have to find a way within a world with less single people than married people to find a place. And I think, you know, I've been able to do that here at Parkview. And, you know, I can honestly say that there are a number of families that have embraced me, not the least of which is the Straightings. I will call them out from day one. Rock on. Um, you know, from very, and where's Kurt over there? You're in the wrong seat this, this Sunday morning. From day one, they were quick to include me in their family, and that was critically important to my feeling at home here. I think, you know, the issues that we've addressed in this series are relevant. The only other thing that I would say is as a single person, the, the message on conflict was a little hot, tough to swallow because in my house, there's not a lot of conflict, <laughs> you know. I did That's admit, a whole other sermon series. I did, <laughs> I did admit that I do talk to myself in the mirror once in a while, but that's just between us, okay? So. That's good. So when we first started this series, one of the things that I wrote into the message that I gave was this notion of families creating an atmosphere of having fun and creating these um, unusual family activities and traditions. And I, I wrote that because, well, quite frankly, the Xanders uh, have been an inspiration to me for a long time in that if you, are, if you follow them on Facebook, you will see some of the craziest pictures of a family you've ever seen. But I'm wondering if, Albie, if you could address or talk a little bit about what sort of fun and the idea of creating tradition and Slurpees all play into to your household. All right. First of all, I'm a huge fan of free. So uh, July 11th is 7-Eleven Day, or free Slurpee Day. And so we started a tradition about four years ago that we had one goal in mind, and we were just going to get as many free Slurpees as possible. So <laughs> my wife does not partake, so as many kids that want to come with me, it's on. And uh, so you Google 7-Eleven, and all these red dots pop up. It's actually pretty amazing how many there are in this area. So this year, we, you know, we got started late, so we didn't think we were going to really get to break our record. And uh, we got into it, and it was amazing how well we were doing. And so <laughs> we, our previous record was 14 7-Elevens. And uh, so we got to, like, 12, and my kids are like, Dad, we got this. And uh, so, you know, I look at the route on the way home, and there's still, like, 10. And... Uh, so sure enough, we, we hit 24, and uh, we got 99 cups that we, we tried really hard to get the 100th, and it just wasn't there. You know, and I know a lot of you are probably thinking DCFS, but um, the, the best part about this is we have the same philosophy on uh, Halloween, just like let your kids eat as much, and then they actually get sick of it. True story that my kids will not have another Slurpee the rest of the year. They don't want one. Um, the, the younger kids, I mean, we were at like store four, and my younger kids were like, Dad, I, don't, I can't do this. And uh, the older ones were like, kids, let's do this. And uh, so it just becomes, you know, pretty important that we break that record. All that to say, you know, I want, uh, I want my kids to remember us having some fun, you know, uh, We've done the Harlem Shake together and put it out there. That was kind of embarrassing. But uh, In fact, can we roll that? No, just joking. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, you know, you got to 
probably the most important part of this is we often we have five kids. Uh, Lori thinks we have six, and uh, so that's a big part of the fun is is uh, I get to be one of the kids. Hmm. That's good. Gordon, did you want to add anything to that? Well, Albie's comment about it was kind of embarrassing, the, the Harlem Shake. So as, as a 66-year-old grandparent with four grandchildren under the age of three, so I've learned that if I'm going to have that fun that you're talking about and create those traditions, it's you've just got to give up all dignity and self-respect. <laughs> so I eat the mud pies with them, and I'm in the sandbox with them, and I'm at the tea table with them, and we pretend to drink our tea. and um, so it's, it's just, I have, I have learned a new side of myself, and I have enjoyed watching my grandchildren relate to that. And uh, it's been a fun, fun situation. Yeah, that's good. So uh, one of the questions that uh, came up with some regularity as well was the idea of um, divorced homes. And um, how, how does one spouse treat the other spouse? How do we raise kids that honor both parents in the mix? And so I wonder if uh, Lynn and Ken, maybe you, you guys might have some things to, to add to that conversation about the, the new family dynamic that comes from a divorced home. Okay. Well, when we were going through the divorce, it was really important that I maintain a good relationship with um, my ex-husband because we were still living under the same roof. So that was a challenge, but we I, I was able to do it. Um, now that he's out of the house, we have a choice now not to... You know, we, we I guess we, we talk when he's sober and when he's not, we just stay away. So that's one of the things that's a good way of maintaining a good relationship, <laughs> keeping it just when he's sober when we speak. But no, but we get along. We actually get along really well. And my son sees that and, and, and that's good. You know, and we're friends. I mean we and we actually can go out and, and have dinner together, the three of us, and, and hang out together. And so my son sees that, you know, he sees that, you know, I'm not bitter and resentful or anything like that. So we, I think that's really good. A really key to this, you know, is that, you know, I'm not mad at him. You know, he's sick. He has an illness. And, you know, we still, you know, I, mean, I, I always tell my son, you know, he, your dad loves you so much that, you know, we just keep that. I just keep that focus, mm. you know, and just always, you know, show my son that, you know, we can still maintain a good friendship and relationship and it doesn't have to be ugly at all. There's no reason for that at all. That's good. You know, so. Good. And Ken, maybe in your in your work over the years, have you come across some things that have been helpful for families who are trying to navigate those tricky waters? Yeah, I think uh, part of the question was, how can I model being a Christian spouse when I'm divorced? And I would say uh, it has to do with, again, how do you treat your ex-spouse? You know, do you care about that person? Can you and the kids pray for that person? Can you resist the uh, power struggles and maligning that person and triangulating the kids and using that as a way to win a battle. Can you lay down your life at times even for your ex-spouse, uh, but ultimately for Christ? And so, you know, I would say that's the one uh, thing that, you know, we could go on and on about all the different techniques and the challenges of blended families. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, to do something for Jesus is to give our lives even when it's sometimes for our enemies. So I'm going to ask you just one final question. It's my Oprah-esque question. Uh, and that would be, if you were to have the opportunity to go back, have a conversation with your 20-year-old self, your 19, 20, 21-year-old self, you're just starting out, maybe you're married, maybe you're dating, maybe there's a kid on the way, who knows. What would you tell that person today 
that would be a piece of advice that you would give to that person? Uh, I would say to me, think. Think. I did a lot of things I didn't think through. Mm. Good. Okay. Listen to your gut. Mm. Trust more sooner. Mm. Yeah, and listen to those that are older and wiser. Um, invest in the only two things that last forever, and that's word of God and people's souls. Mm. That's good. Wow. Um, and he's the psychiatrist. <laughs> Just so we're clear, in the last service, Albie said pass. So <laughs> I needed a lot of help when I was 20. <laughs> I would say don't take yourself so seriously. I would say that very few friendships and relationships when you're 20 are going to be there when you're 25. Practice, learn. Mm. I would have said to me at 20 and 30 and 40 and 50 and 66, it's not about you. Mm. That's good. And I, I think uh, for myself, I think I would tell myself, uh, spend less time trying and spend more time just being you. I think I spent a lot of time in my early days, even in my early days as a, as a husband, uh, trying to be something that I'm not, trying to be perfect. And uh, if I could just be myself, I think that I would have saved myself a lot of hurt and pain. Hey, will you thank these guys for me? This wasn't easy. So I'm going to pray for us, and then uh, Ray's going to close out the service. So will you bow your head, and we'll pray together. Father, I thank you so much for your grace, your grace that covers a multitude of sins and a multitude of errors. It makes a questionable parent a great parent. It makes a questionable spouse a great spouse, and it makes a questionable individual a great individual. Your grace covers it all. And God, as we seek to be better, as we seek to walk more closely with you, and to define ourselves more and more as more as a follower of your son, Jesus, we ask, God, that you would give us your strength, your sense of purpose, your sense of peace, that we would have the ability to ha handle conflict in an appropriate way, that you would give us the strength to just simply be ourselves, and God, that we would model more than we teach that we would handle conflict. God, I love you, and I'm so grateful that you love me enough to redeem my life. And so I pray that for every person in this room, that they would leave this place knowing that you love them, that you have redeemed them, and you desire for them to walk each day in close proximity to you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thanks, Dave. You know, that was interesting being part of the panel. Every service was a little different, and we answered some different questions throughout the morning. What being part of it reminds me of and makes me cognizant of is the, the fact that we really need each other. I mean, we need to be able to share our stories with each other as these folks were willing to come up on stage and talk a little bit, I mean, just a little bit about their, their life, their experiences, their insights. We need to be able to share those things with each other in order to grow and move forward in life. Uh, if we, we try to live in isolation, that doesn't work out so well. You know, God has called us to community. And uh, as, as a church, uh, we need to be able to get beyond the idea of, of, of presenting ourselves as perfect. There are no perfect people. 
and life is complicated and relationships are complicated and, and families are complicated and we need to be able to talk about those things. And this panel represents sort of like what life groups are about. It's about a, a, a group of people getting together and just talking about what life is and what they're experiencing and, and what they're struggling with and what, what, what's going well and what have they found that's helpful and what does God say about these things and, and to interact with each other. I mean, we only had a little bit of time to talk about some things this morning. And that's, that's sort of the picture of life group, what it's meant to be for us. We need each other. We need differences of, of uh, perspectives and, and, and all those things. So if you're not in a life group, I really encourage you to uh, go online and plug in. I think you'll find it really helpful. And this was sort of a, just a picture of what that can be like. It, it also just reminds me that, again, there are no perfect people. And Christianity is not about perfection. It's, a, it's about grace. It's about God's grace and, and, and his love of us who are so imperfect. And uh, certainly we all need the grace of God um, in our lives. And I hope you understand that that's what Christianity is about. It's not about your works or your, your, your good efforts. It's about the grace and love of God that we experience through Jesus. Okay, so this was a little different than we normally do, so hopefully it was helpful. Uh, next week, uh, we're going to start a series, a new series, a study series called From Ruin to Restoration. Uh, we're going to back into the Old Testament, and we're going to take a, a, a close look at, at a book some of you may be familiar with. It's the book of Haggai. Some of you may be saying, Hag what? There's a, there's a book called Haggai in the Bible. Yeah, there is. It's uh, third from uh, the last, so if you go to Matthew, make a left to go three books, you find it. Uh, it's actually the second shortest book in the Old Testament, but it, it it's the account of some things that were happening in a four-month period in the life of ancient Israel that's quite amazing, really. And we may say, actually, it happened in 520 B.C. And what's remarkable to me is that what was happening in the life of God's people in 520 B.C. is relevant to what's happening in the church today in the 21st century, uh, in 21st century America. So here's what I'd like you to do. I don't usually give out homework assignments, but I'm going to give one out this week. I want to encourage you to go home this week at some point put some time aside and go go open your bible and read through the book of Haggai it won't take you very long only two chapters and so read through the book and make some notes because there's some important dates in there there are some uh, statements that are made that are repeated maybe ask yourself why are those repeated why are those important are they important to me what was happening with God's people and how does that relate to my life and the church today I think you'll find it quite interesting so we're going to start that next week you guys can do that right Right? Yeah, read just read it. Read it through and think about it. Come prepared next Sunday and then we're gonna we're gonna launch off into a study series on it. All right? Why don't you stand with me and I'll, I'll dismiss us. Let me pray for us. Our Father, we acknowledge you this morning that we are not perfect people and when we pretend we are, we really just we just stifle uh, our ability to grow because unless we recognize our flaws and are and are open about it, we, we really can't find help. We can't really help one another. And th that pretense uh, really, it really walls us off and, and holds us back. And we just want to be, Lord, we want to be real with each other. We want to be real before you. Uh, and we want to grow. We want to learn. Uh, we want to we know what is right and good and healthy and best for us. And as our creator, who knows, who knows more about that than you? And so we commit our lives to you this week. May we, may we live in our relationships uh, among friends and family uh, in a way that is healthy and uh, in a way that is gracious 
and points people uh, to you, our God. And now I, uh, I ask that your hand of grace and peace rest on your people, the church, as we go about uh, our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen.